Thanks, Matt. Uh, like Matt said, my name is Cliff Woodward. I actually wanted to share with you my full name because some of the youth wanted me to share with you my full name. My full name is Clifford Gibbons Woodward V. Yes, that means that my name is the same name as my dad and his dad and his dad and his dad. We all have the same name. Um, but I grew up in the, in the Bay Area, so I moved out here when I started at Jessup four years ago. And then, like Matt said, I just graduated this last April. And I'm really excited to be with you here this morning. It's an honor to be up here. Uh, when Matt came and talked to us and was like, hey, I think we're all going to share uh, the weekend. I was like, that's so awesome. And it, it's really awesome for me to be up here and to share the word with you guys. But before we get started, I want to say this. Thank you. Thank you for allowing people like me, Matt, Brett, and Dave to hang out with your students every single week on a Wednesday and on a Sunday. It is so awesome every week to point them towards Christ and to tell them how, how awesome it is to live and to be with Christ in every walk that we have. And I love my job. I love what I get to do. And one of the best parts of my job is this is when the students get obnoxious, get loud, get annoying, you know what I get to do? I send them home to you to deal with. So thank you. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We are in part 16 of our series. And I want to say congratulations. You have made it to the final week of Ecclesiastes. We've been going through this, this very depressing book. We've been talking about all these things that have been really confusing and weird, but you have made it. So congratulations. I'm very proud of you. But just so you know, today is going to be just as depressing as any other week. Now, let's talk about what Ecclesiastes has been talking about. One of the main things that this author brings up is vanity. Everything is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Everything is meaningless. Not only that, is that everything is meaningless under the sun. This world that is under the sun is meaningless. That's what the author has been talking about. But I really like the underlying message that this book has been saying. Is that, okay, if everything is meaningless under the sun, and if everything is hebel, like the Hebrew word says, then what are we, what are we going to do about it? But we should actually worship a God who is over the sun and not under the sun like this world. And throughout Ecclesiastes, it is telling us the skills that we should live by. It is not necessarily giving us new truths or truths that we've heard of before, but it is showing us the importance, the importance of listening to what we are doing and living out what the word says. And one of my favorite truths and skills that it's talking about is that we need to take advantage of the opportunity that is given to us. When I was a little kid, about yay big, my dad and I went to a Kings game because my my aunt and uncle owned season tickets. And I was really excited to see a Kings game because I haven't really seen a professional basketball game at that time. So my dad and I went with my aunt and uncle and we went to a Kings game. And we were watching, and we were sitting down and watching the game. And I was all excited, and then up walks a King's representative, and she comes up to my dad and I, she says, Hey, do you want to go sit closer towards the court? And my dad and I were like, Yeah, of course I want to sit closer. So we move down, and and we sit closer. And then about halfway through the second quarter, we're sitting three rows up, courtside. 
And it's awesome. I'm, I'm getting to see the sweat on their, on their brows, right? I'm getting to see them just dunk and yell at each other and all that stuff. And it's really exciting. But then another king's representative came up to me and said, Son, do you, do you want to be part of the, the halftime show and, sh- and, and shoot around and do a, try to half-court shot? And in my head, I'm like, yes, that is so awesome. I want to do that. But for some reason, what was going on in my head did not transfer to my mouth. Because as soon as she asked me that question, I was like, no. Wait, no, wait. Did I just say no? And in my head, I was like, Cliff, what are you doing? You, you, you definitely want to do that. And my dad turns to me. He's like, are you sure you don't want to do it? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. No, I wasn't. I missed that opportunity to shoot that basketball into the hoop. And I'll tell you what, I had the best luck when I was little and I could have won the prize, but I didn't because I missed that opportunity. <laughs> and I know right, that, right now as you're, you're sitting in that seat, I'm sure there's some part in your life where you've missed an opportunity. You've missed an opportunity to, to share God's love with someone. You've missed the opportunity to go out of your way to serve somebody else. And then this chapter in Ecclesiastes, that's what the author is pointing towards. How many of you have seen the TV show The Office? Some of you have seen it. It's one of my favorite TV shows. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's hilarious. But one of the characters named Andy... At the end of the series, he gets to the point where he has his dream job. His dream job at Cornell where he went to school. But then you see him reminiscing about his life at the office. And he said these words. He said, I wish somebody told me when the good old days were, when I was living them. That way I don't have to look back and realize those were the good old days. Isn't that interesting? But I'll tell you what, the good old days is any time we live in the presence of God. So our good old days are right now. Don't let another day go by and disappear on you because you have a purpose and an intent. And that leads us to the fill in the blank on that sheet that was handed to you at the front door. The fill in the blank is this. Now is the youngest you will ever be. Now is the youngest you will ever be. Now some of you this afternoon, you're thinking, I needed to hear that this morning. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you very much. And then others are like, I didn't need to hear that. I already know. I already know I'm not getting any younger. I, thank, you for, thank you for reminding me of that. But take heart. There's more of that than meets the eye. All right, let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Here the author is is pointing to the fact that it, it makes it clear that youth is the ideal embodiment of what a joyful and vital about this life. And he also says that we need to remember our creator. Remember our creator. And this remembrance is not a, not a thing that you just said, oh, I remember what I ate last night. I remember that milkshake that I had last night. But it's actually a remembrance that leads us to action. 
He's saying that every opportunity that we have, we need to remember our Creator. And when he's saying that we need to remember our Creator in our youth, he's saying that right this moment is our youth. It doesn't matter how old you are this morning. If you're 62, if you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 80, you are the youngest you will ever be right now, and you are in your youth right now. So remember your Creator in every circumstance and every opportunity that you have, every opportunity that the Lord presents to you. You see, we remember God before the end, before the things get worse, before everything around us ages, and before we even feel old. Because here's the reality. It's really easy to forget because of this world, because of this world under the sun. Because we have so many things going on. These past two weeks, I've had car trouble. How many of you are like, amen, car trouble, right? It's the worst. It's the worst. In fact, I got a call from my mechanic yesterday. Sir, after two weeks, and she didn't say this, sir, your, your car's ready. Come pick it up. And I'm like, yes, my car's ready. I can finally pick it up. I don't have to keep asking people for rides. So I get up this morning, wanted to get to church early, right? Go to turn my key. I was like, seriously? All right. I, I, it's going to work. It didn't work. Luckily, a family in this church has lent me a car to drive around. But it's hard in every circumstance and everything that we're, that's going through with our jobs, with our kids, with the, our hobbies to remember our Creator. But the author of Ecclesiastes is reminding, reminding us, now is the time. What are you waiting for? Let's start back in with verse 2. Now this next section I'm going to read is one of the most obscure passages in all of Scripture, not just Ecclesiastes. And Pastor Lance gave us this passage to go through, so thank you very much. <laughs> Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, the one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond trees blossom, and the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets." Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Man, a lot of that was confusing. There's two ways to interpret this passage. There's two ways. The first is an allegorical interpretation. And what that means is in, uh, many commentators take these words and, and they try to figure out what these words actually mean in this context. And if we look at that and agree with that type of interpretation, we see that the author seems to be talking about old age and dying. If we look at verse 4, 
When it says, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird, he's talking about us losing our hearing and actually having restless nights because everything in our world wakes us up because continuously we are thinking about things that are going on. In verse 5, he brings up the almond tree. And this could represent us having white hair as we get older because the almond tree, when it blossoms, it, it blossoms white. And not only that, that it actually blossoms in the winter. And then what else does it say? In verse 6, it talks about a silver cord. But verse 6, he changes his tone. The, the previous verses, he's talking about old age, but in verse 6, he's talking about the end, the snapping, the, the part where we actually die. And when he says before the sil- silver cord is snapped, he's talking about a cord that is connected to a chandelier in a house. And if that, if that silver cord is snapped, then that chandelier falls and it's broken. So that's pretty depressing, isn't it? He's talking about us dying and, and faltering and getting old. Where's he going with this? But there's a second interpretation of this passage. And this is the one that I would, I would agree with. And this is talking about a parable. A parable of the fate and the failure of human efforts. And what this parable is saying is we have a bunch of people in a house trying to do certain things, trying to put put up a chandelier, trying to paint, trying to make this so this house doesn't fall, but in the end, the house crumbles. The house crumbles. The reason why this interpretation makes a little bit more sense is if we look through the out Ecclesiastes, we see that the preacher doesn't seem to actually care about the topic of old age. We don't see old age come up anywhere else in this book. We also don't see many topics of old age in the the Bible as a whole. And even many scholars believe that this can be a distortion to the meaning of the actual words if we look at it from an allegorical standpoint. But when I think about this parable, I think about my family and I going camping about a month ago. My family and I love to camp. It's one of our favorite things in the world, and it's a huge tradition that we love to do. And about a year and a half to two years ago, we bought a new tent because our our family outgrew our old tent. And we were all excited about this tent because it was a lot bigger, it had a lot more space, we were able to do a lot more things in this tent. But uh, when we came to this camping trip this summer, we found out that we couldn't go to the normal campsite that we usually go to. So we ended up camping along the Oregon coast. And if you've been along the Oregon coast, it's a beautiful place. A beautiful place. I just loved it there. But the problem was, it was extremely windy. Every single second we were there, it was extremely windy. Every time we woke up, every time we went to bed, it was just... It was crazy. In fact, one day, uh, we're just sitting around the table. And the wind literally took our awning above our table flew it in the air, and then landed right in our tent. So our, the poles from the awning above our table went right through our tent, just rip. So the next 15, 20 minutes, you see about 10 or 15 people, because we, it was a family reunion, trying to tape, duct tape this tent. 
We're trying our best to try to get all the holes. But you know what? The wind was picking up, of course. So we have like five people trying to hold the tent as the other five are trying to tape it. But then the tape is actually not working. And then we don't know what we're doing. And then it just breaks even more. But eventually, eventually we got the duct tape to hold. And we stepped back and we looked at our tent and we said, Oh, we're good. So we went in the car, we drove down to the beach and we hung out for the beach the entire day. But then we get back. And then we get back. And not 20 minutes after we got back, I'm looking at our tent, and then all of a sudden, one of our poles just snapped. No, no one was in the tent, no one was around the tent, nobody tried to kick the tent or anything, but the wind was so strong that it literally just cracked. And our tent was broken. In fact, we had to take it down and we had to throw it away and stay at a hotel that night. But this parable is saying that no matter how hard we try to keep this building, this house, this life up, it will crumble. You see, my family, when we put up this tent, we tried our best and we put it up the way it was supposed to be put up. But it still crumbled in the end. So in this passage, the author is saying, the preacher is saying, everything will crumble. Good news to hear this morning, amen? Verse 8 says this. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. He brings us back to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, where he's telling everyone, everything is meaningless. Everything under the sun is vanity. Remember... The toil that you have to keep this house up. The toil you have in your old age. That is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. After verse 8, the preacher is done talking. And if you remember, Lance talked about the narrator and and the preacher. And in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, the narrator sets the scene. And we actually don't hear from the narrator again until right here in verse 9. And throughout this whole time, the preacher is telling us wisdom and telling us different things that we need to do and different skills we need to have to live out this life under the sun. I like like to think of this like Princess Bride. So if you've seen the movie Princess Bride, most of the story is with Princess Buttercup, right? And the entire time you hear the story of Buttercup and her her love, Wesley. But but a few times, the scene cuts, and then there's this grandfather and his grandson. And you're like, wait, I don't understand the connection. But actually, the grandfather is reading the story of Princess Buttercup and Wesley to... His grandson who's sick. So the narrator is narrating the story, but the preacher is actually telling you the truth and the wisdom. But at verse 9, the narrator takes a step back and he says, this is what I believe the preacher has been saying. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 9 says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The narrator was evaluating the preacher. He's saying, guys, he tried his best to present this wisdom in the appropriate way. 
Yes, it was depressing. Yes, it was really confusing. Yes, I honestly probably don't know what he's talking about. But here's the thing. He tried his best. But I think that's what point, this is what that points us to. Is yes, the preacher tried his best. But in reality, it's all vanity. In reality, it's all meaningless. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. He's talking about wisdom here. And he gives a reference to a goad. If you don't know what a goad is, it's like a really long stick. It's like a 10 foot long stick with a, with a little hook at the end that shepherds use to direct oxen. And so what would happen is if a herd of oxen was going the wrong direction, the shepherd would, would grab the stick, the goad, and he would point, and he would poke the front oxen. And the oxen would change his direction and go the right way. And you would think the oxen was probably annoyed by that poke, right? But in reality, the oxen liked the fact of that poke because he wanted to go the right direction. And that's what the narrator is saying here, is that the wisdom of the pre- that the preacher brought directs us towards the path that the Lord wants us to go down. Yes, the poke may be painful, but it's effective. And it pushes us and provides us stability. He even talks about a nail. And this nail is not a, not a normal nail that's about yay long, but it's a nail that's huge, that is used to hold a massive tent down back in those days. And I know what you're thinking. I probably should have used that nail for my tent. (laughs) This nail wouldn't let anything rip up that tent. And in the same way, wisdom holds us firm. That's what the preacher was bringing us. I also like to think of when we're in driver's training. I don't know how many of you have had your... Your children go through driver's training, but I, I know you can remember. I'm sure it's been a horrifying experience if you have. But if your child's in the driver's seat and he's driving, right? Or, or she's driving and you're in the passenger seat freaking out, right? You're, you're right here and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, they're driving a, motor, a car. It's so weird. As soon as they start going into the other lane, as soon as they start going on the other side of the road, what do you do? You grab that wheel and you turn it the wrong, the other direction. Because you want them to go down the right direction. And that's what the point of this book was. That's what the point of what this preacher is talking about. Is because he noticed that these people were going down the wrong direction. And he's saying, guys, we need to steer towards Christ. We need to realize that the direction that we're going is vanity, is nothingless. It's just a wisp in the wind. Verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. I'm going to read that last part again. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Amen. Amen. I just graduated from Jessup. And man, this verse just rings to my ears. Um, Much study is weariness of the flesh. Amen. 
How many nights have I had staying up till 1, 2 a.m. in the morning, studying for a paper, studying for a test, thinking that this is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. And then I get from the Bible telling me that much study is weariness of the flesh. I love that. Thank you, God. But what it's saying is this. I can spend the rest of my life reading everything. And yet do nothing. Knowledge is what we know. Wisdom is what we do with that knowledge. What do we do with that wisdom? What do we do with this wisdom that the preacher talks about? Because if we keep studying, like this verse says... If we keep studying and reading and try to figure out all these certain things, we're just going to kit muck from the world at us. There's going to be more videos. There's going to be more articles. There's going to be more, 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 right? Because we have the internet. And it's going to tell us and feed us things that we probably don't need to hear in context. But the preacher and the narrator are saying this. Follow down the right path. And grab this wisdom and hold on to it. But then the next part of this, this chapter, this, and wraps, wraps up this entire book beautifully. Let's look on the verse 13. The end of the matter. This is it. This is it. All has been heard. All this confusing, depressing stuff. You've heard it. You've heard it. But this is what the narrator wants us to get. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In Jewish tradition... When they would read this, they would actually read 14 before 13. And you would say, oh, why did they do that? They wanted to leave this book on a happier note than what it talks about in verse 14. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at 14 and then 13. 14 says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. See, The author is saying that we need to remember God and be mindful of the coming judgment. And judgment is a word that we don't like to hear, right? When we hear the word judgment, we get all uncomfortable. We're like, ah, judgment. Ah, I don't like that. The author said, no, judgment is coming. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to remember our God in that time. Because judgment actually gives meaning and purpose. Because God has that goad, God has that nails that that points us, saying, you need to stop what you're doing, turn from your ways, and go down the right path that I've called you. For God will bring every deed into judgment. But then there's verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. But here's what I want you to get. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 
And fear here has so many different definitions in the Bible. And in fact, this phrase or some variant of, uh, of this phrase appears seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the fear of the Lord takes a person to the proper view of themselves. And that's humility. And this fear is, is not a type of fear where we are like, oh God! It's not one that we run away from God, but it's one where we fall before Him and say, God, I fear you. And because I fear you, I take my action. Because I fear you, I take obedience to your name and to your works and to what you tell us to do in your word. This is a fear that makes us fall down, not run away. I love what Oswald Chambers says about fearing God. He says this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you feel, fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There's so many fears out there. Fears of spiders, public speaking, falling. So many other things in this world that we can fear. And we have a choice. Are we going to take those things that we fear and let them control our lives? Are we going to have fear in the God who's above the sun, who's not under the sun, who created the sun, and let us hold hands with Him and walk? Because I tell you this, when we fear God, nothing else even compares. Nothing else. When we fear God, He takes us to a place that we can't even understand. When we fear God, we see a circumstance that normally we'd be fearful about. Speaking in front of people, right? Doing a project that you're scared about. Working with people. And you say, no, my God is bigger than that situation. In fact, my God can conquer that. So God, I give you this. I give you this circumstance. I give you my fear. And I allow you to work through me. Here the fear of God is used with a further challenge of obedience Jesus at at the last supper he said he said this he said if you love me obey my commandments if you love me obey my commandments fear God and obey his commandments so if God is the one to fear that means that nothing under this sun we should fear Nothing. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about how we need to abide in Him. We need to stay steadfast with Him. He's saying that He is the true vine and we are the branches. And apart from the vine, we are nothing. So we need to abide in Him. And I'll tell you this, Bridgeway, a way to abide in Him is to fear Him and to obey His commandments. And a good way to know that is this. First of all, a first way to fear someone and obey someone is you need to know them. You need to know them. That's when we pick our our Bibles weekly. That's when we pick up our Bibles daily and we get to know the heart of God. Because if we truly want to fear God, if we truly want to obey His commandments, then we need to know Him. We need to know God. We need to fear God. And we need to obey God. And here's what I love 
about this book. It was a priority check. I remember even back the first couple of sermons that Pastor Lance talked to us about. He said this. He said, Bridgeway, I know this is going to be tough, but we need to hear what this book has to say. And I agree 100%. Because this book is a wake-up call. It's saying, whatever you're doing, God's not. God's not okay with it. It's telling us to change our atmosphere. It's telling us to move where we thought we were going. So where are your priorities? What are the things that are taking the forefront of your mind? Because what is the whole duty of man? The whole duty of man is to fear God and to obey His commandments. So where are you? That's my question. Where are you at? You know where you're at. God knows where you're at. Now is the youngest you will ever be. You all, you all laughed about that in the beginning, and it is a funny thing. But think about it. You're the youngest you will ever be right now, so what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now is the time to take advantage of the opportunity that our God has given to you. Now is not the time to, to sleep it away or to ignore. Now is the time to take advantage. Because you don't want to, down the road, you don't want to look back on your life and say, Oh man, I didn't take advantage. What are you waiting for, Bridgeway? I want to call the prayer team up. Here's the thing. Throughout this chapter, throughout this book, God is knocking at our door. Saying, guys, listen. Listen. Listen to me. Everything is meaningless under the sun. In this world. And what's awesome is God saw the meaningless of our world. And he sent Jesus to make our lives meaningful. He's saying, I made your lives meaningful because I sent my son so that you could be in eternity with him. So now now is your time. And these people up here are willing to pray with you and for you. If you're confused what I was talking about today, if you're confused about any part of it, go talk to someone. If you don't really understand what fearing God or obeying His commandments truly means, then go talk to someone. We are, we are at a church and we want to talk. We want to converse with one another. Because this is not a type of church where this is the relationship. This is a church where this is the relationship. Remember, remember God. Obey His commandments and fear Him. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Whether it be confusing, whether it be depressing, whether it be confusing and super depressing, God, it's Your Word. Thank You for speaking to us in every way possible. Thank you for loving us in every way possible. And God, we give you the rest of our week. We give you the rest of our days. 
And God, help us to follow down the path that you've created for us. Allow us to fear you and to obey your commandments so that we can remember you to the end of the age. We love you, God, so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great rest of your day.